I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 118, we discuss our opinions about the Premier League Fan Fest in Boston, why interest in soccer is growing in the United States, but not in MLS, FCC delivers a blow to Bean's uh, chances of returning to Comcast, DirecTV gets egg on its face, the Bundesliga finally gets some love from Fox, plus letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, let's jump right in, because we've got a lot to cover in this podcast. Um, what have you been watching? I, I, I know you've had a really busy week, but uh, what's your past week been like for, uh, for listeners? Uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've watched very little uh, non-domestic football. Uh, Hoffenheim, Leverkusen, I watched uh, Romanopoli, which was... Uh, uh, Ranieri, this might be Ranieri's last job, the way things are going at Roma, the way things went at Fulham, the way things went at Nantes, um, that magic of Leicester City and that uh, reputation he had of being the almost man, finishing second time and again with other clubs. That seems to be really in the in the rearview mirror now. Uh, Hanover Schalke, uh, Manchester United and uh, Wolves, which was uh, a very entertaining match on uh, on. Tuesday night, I believe it would have been Tuesday. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the days are confusing me this week. Uh, Monday was oh Monday. I did not even remember about the Arsenal game, and then um and and then yeah, and then the Wolves match on uh on Tuesday night. So I have not seen a whole lot. Uh, Hanover Schalke. I also watched. I also watched uh the second half of Cardiff and Chelsea, which was obviously very controversial, mm-hmm. and. Uh, a lot of uh, a heavy dose, and this is what t- typically happens when I don't watch a lot of football. A heavy dose of ESPN FC. Uh, I've seen that all week, seen or listened to that all week. Okay, so we'll get into uh, what's been going on in terms of why you haven't been able to watch as much soccer this week in a little bit. But before we get to that, uh, which is definitely uh, directly related to, to soccer, before we get to that, I mean, some of the games I watched this past week, I'm going to jump around a lot. Um, I watched, of course, the Spurs against Crystal Palace game uh, on Wednesday. I thought that, yeah, I was going to say ESPN, uh, NBCSN did a fantastic job of the uh, with the pre-match coverage on this one. Uh, talking about the stadium, what it means to not just the the club themselves, but to the league. Uh, this is the first soccer-specific stadium 
uh, in the United Kingdom in 10 years that's been built specifically for soccer. And it's it's a you know, the stadium is absolutely incredible. So that was interesting. They also had a segment about the Hillsborough trial, uh, an update on that. I thought that was really well done. Uh, like you, Kartik, I watched the Wolves Man United game. Really a, a great match in that one. Arsenal Newcastle on Monday. I watched uh, Sunday night. Uh, I watched uh, Orlando against DC United, and um, the atmosphere was really good in the stadium. It came across through the television set really well. Uh, it was a pretty entertaining game. I would say pretty in in that uh, if only Orlando was a better team, it's, this could have been more of a a really good fight in that second half. Um, but uh, still, it was a, a good watch. And uh, this one was interesting because there was commentary by by uh, Jake Zevin, uh, who teamed up with Alexi Lalas. And uh, Jake is new to commentating, uh, and he's new to Fox, and uh, in terms of uh, being in, uh, on television. And I thought he did a decent job. He reminded me of a young, uh, more energetic, and more authentic uh, Rob Stone. Um, this past week, too, I also watched uh, Celtic against Rangers on Sunday morning. Um, this one, I, I, again, it's a Bleach Report Live. I'm still having issues. I mean, so I, I know throughout the season, off and on, I think, Kartik, you've had issues. I've had a couple of issues. Other times it's been fine. But I was watching this one, and, and oftentimes the, just the, the stream would lock up on my Chrome uh, web browser, so I'd have to go ahead and restart it, restart the browser or refresh the page, come back, and then after a minute, it, it would work. And it's happened several times. And I've, I've got a, a fiber connection uh, here from my home office. But um, the game itself was good. <laughs> a nasty game, actually, in some ways. Um, Rangers, really, some nasty fouls. But overall, it was a, an entertaining game to watch. Uh, Liverpool against Spurs. Um, what a finish to this game. What an ending to this game. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. Uh, Fulham Man City. And uh, what else did I watch? Uh, a couple of other games too. But but that's that's the majority of the games I watched. Um, a couple of things that were of interest to me were um, I watched or listened to, watched and listened to an interview with Peter Drury this week, which is on YouTube. It's on a, a channel called uh, Tifo Football. And I'd highly recommend it. It's about a 45-minute to 50-minute uh, interview with Peter Drury, which is rare. We, you, you get to see Peter Drury on TV now and again, but it's just extremely rare. It's rare because he goes in, uh, he discusses the art of commentating, just like we've done some great interviews in the past with uh, John Champion and, and many others. Uh, this one goes in-depth into the art of commentating and going through Peter's background, his career, um, but asking some really kind of uh, great questions as far as finding out more about behind the scenes. What is interesting to me in this interview, though, is that um, it's, it comes out really strong in terms of the reason that Peter is not on social media. And he's really self-conscious. He's really self-conscious about getting feedback from and criticism from fans. Uh, and he thinks that that could change the way that he commentates. So he stays off social media. Uh, his his I think his son or his, or his two sons I kind of uh, let it, let let it, let him know from time to time like if there's any positive feedback or anything negative whatever but he stays off it and I think that Peter Drury the commentator is uh, is one of the best but one of the reasons he's not on a level with say a John Champion or an Ian Dark uh, or others that are very popular in the United States is that. 
Peter doesn't step outside of the commentating role and is not active on social media, doesn't do a lot of interviews. And this is a really good uh, opportunity to actually kind of find out more about Peter this way. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that, that that's who he is and, and he's a different type of individual than, say, John Champion or, or Derek Ray, who are very uh, social media friendly. Now, Kartik, uh, one of the reasons why I probably got to watch a ton of the Premier League Fan Fest this past weekend on NBC and uh, you didn't was for a very good reason. And, and I wanted you kind of to, to share some thoughts in terms of where you were and uh, what were some of the, the big messages that came out of uh, where you were at? Yeah, so I was at the uh, Soccer Summit, Boca Soccer Summit, which was the follow-up for lower division teams to the Chattanooga Soccer Summit, uh, the much-acclaimed Chattanooga Soccer Summit a year ago, or a little bit over a year ago uh, in 2018, that followed the USSF election and the uh, dissatisfaction uh, that uh, a lot of the amateur clubs and independent clubs around the country had with um, the uh, uh, election of Carlos Cordero as USSF president. And, and just in general, the whole uh, scene where uh, the, the feeling is that there is preferential treatment, at least, uh, or the deck is stacked, however you want to look at it, the, the scales are tipped towards MLS and USL. Uh, so I think one of the things that was really uh, a big talking point to come out of this this uh, conversation we had at, at the summit this weekend, Chris, was that there is an empowerment of leagues over clubs in the United States because of the closed system. And while we can say some leagues are better than others, that's certainly true. They're all closed leagues, right? Essentially, they're all leagues that, uh, uh, that have um, either a closed league structure or a franchise structure. So even the leagues that have a lower uh, barrier of entry and may even have pro rel within them uh, have some degree of third-party ownership or uh, private ownership of, of, of the league structure to where the league is looking to make money um, or is looking to at least offset all its operating costs and they pass that burden on to clubs. So that's, um, that, that's just part of the closed structure, right? That's part of allowing leagues to have private owners. Um, there was a, a lot of discussion about, you know, who, who, are, who are the soccer fans? Who do you engage? Is it uh, casual sports fans? Is it hardcore soccer fans? Is it uh, hipsters? Is it soccer moms? Who is it? Um, so that was that was a big talking point, as was um, the general kind of dissatisfaction with the lack of interest and lack of um, lack of facilitation of, of, of these things that U.S. soccer does and how U.S. soccer is essentially uh, an absentee landlord that's off uh, doing their own thing. And then, quite frankly, in many markets, the lack of interest of MLS teams in the local amateur scene. What they do is they go and recreate their own um, their own structure, their own pyramid. And that MLS in the last uh, four or five years has shown a lack of interest in the adult and amateur game, which was not always the case. Um, I think one of the things that frustrates people at the lower division level uh, is up until about 2013, 2014, MLS had a lot of interest in what was going on uh, in the lower divisions outside USL. They were uh, heavily involved and somewhat invested in adult soccer in this country. And all of that promptly stopped in, in around 2013, 2014, as they hit year 20. And as they brought New York City and Chicago and Orlando into the league, changed the, the, the league's branding. And since then, they've been um, 
less of a partner, quite frankly, with, with everybody. So that's yep. uh, that that's that was one of the other big takeaways from this. And, and this has a direct uh, connection correlation to television in terms of you mean the, the podcast really goes into talking more about the media and television. A few months ago, I had a uh, conversation with a multimillionaire. Uh, who is invested? Who has invested in? I think about three soccer clubs overseas. And I asked him. I said, "Like, why aren't you investing in Major League Soccer? Why aren't you investing in some of the lower leagues in in the U.S. soccer pyramid? It's, it's not really a pyramid, but you, you, you know what I mean." And he said, "Well, uh, he said I can go ahead and invest in a team in, say, Ireland or or in in Holland." Uh, it could be a smaller club. It could be a club that's maybe, say, a Division Two club, um, or or even a Division Three club. But there's a there's an opportunity that there's a that there's a path there to go ahead and, and maybe move that club up into maybe the, the the top tier, the top division, and not be one of the biggest teams in the league, but have a direct path to entering into the Europa League. And it's with the Europa League, it's it's guaranteed TV revenue. There's guaranteed, uh, you mean millions of dollars in terms of revenue that you can generate. As just 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 one example, and he said with, with with the soccer structure in the United States, there is no path like that. If you invest in in a USL team, there's no guarantee that that team will eventually move up to Major League Soccer. Um, and and even then, the actual expansion fees for those teams is are, are really highly inflated is, is what he said so that's why he's looking overseas he's looking overseas because and it really kind of come back, comes back to television that is the path so for teams in the united states who are in the lower lower levels um it's tough because you I mean that that dream of having a team your local team go ahead and, and maybe advance from from one division to the next division that maybe someday that that team could go all the way through to i mean the top division or the second division that doesn't exist today Kartik. And, and and that's um that's that's a main that's one of the main problems main reasons that we have a huge problem in this country as far as trying to grow soccer now, Kartik, while you were watching or attending the, the Boca Soccer Summit and uh, speaking with a lot of uh, lower league uh, owners, etc., uh, from from that side of things, I was knee deep in watching the Premier League Fan Fest from Boston, and uh, I have to say, this was my favorite one of all of them. This is the the third one they've done this season. I think they did one last season, so it's the fourth one they've done. But it really, to me had made a, a great connection with with the soccer culture in the United States, which a lot of that culture is going to pubs or bars and watching games there. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the Premier League. It could be other leagues too. It could be it could be Major League Soccer. It could be whatever it may be. But that, that pub culture. Uh, and what's unique about the United States is that um, as opposed to other countries where if you went into, into Madrid and had, say, I don't know, a Barcelona... Uh, Real Madrid uh, fans getting together to watch a game in a pub that doesn't exist because there would be fights, there'd be, I mean, it'd be riots, whatever there may be. Same thing in England too. Is that what's unique about the the United States is that you're able to actually have fans from opposing clubs hanging out, a little bit of banter, singing, etc. And NBCSN did a fantastic job of capturing that too. Um, this was, I mean, they've they've perfected the formula in terms of. Uh, interviewing players, 
talking to fans. A lot of a lot of the interviews that, that they did, or conversations they had, were with fans asking them how they became a fan. You mean how long have they support, been supporting the club? What is their connection to the club, etc. It was uh, Kartik. I'm not sure if you got a chance to watch any of it, but from Sunday to all the way through to, to from Saturday all the way through to Sunday, I, I was just blown away by how, how good this was. And uh, and to me, the Premier League's doing more to promote soccer in the US than MLS and USSF are, are doing combined. Uh, I would strongly disagree with that statement, that last statement. Strongly disagree with it. I, I think the Premier League is engaging existing Premier League fans who they want to watch their league. Um, like I said, until 2013, 2014, Major League Soccer did a lot on the grassroots level. And, and I, I know this show turns into bash MLS a lot. I, I don't think it should be because I think MLS in its history has done a lot of good things. We're in a much better place. Okay. Uh, so what, soccer what, what about lately, though? League so League what about lately? No, no, no. no. But, but uh, you can't discount what they did between 1996 and 2014. You can't say, oh, well, then the Premier League, because they have a couple fan fests engaging with existing Premier League fans, who, by the way – one of the talking points at this summit was you 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 uh, talk to Premier League fans about coming out to watch local soccer and they shut the door in your face. So they're they're Premier League fans. They're Liverpool fans. Yeah, but why is that? Why is that? I, I, there are many reasons. There are many reasons. No, but one, the main the main reason is is it's because there's no promotion relegation. There's there's no I think, I think there's no of hope of that of that local club no, no, going no, I advancing. Think one of the main reasons is snobbery because they won't watch Major League Soccer no. either in their towns in a lot of cases. I think one of the main reasons it's not – these people won't even watch the Bundesliga or La Liga. They'll constantly tell you the Premier League is better, the Premier League is more entertaining. All of that might be true, but that's one of the big reasons. Um, U.S. soccer is a governing body that does a lot. I mean I, I'm not a – I'm a critic of U.S. soccer. I'm a critic of Major League Soccer. But to say the Premier League is doing more to grow soccer in the, uh, in the United States, they're doing more to maybe grow a certain degree of soccer fandom. And I think that has a lot to do with NBC, but I, I would grant you that. And I think these fan fests are great in terms of engaging those fans. But I would not make a blanket statement that they're doing more than MLS, which still does do a lot on the fan engagement level in their markets. And that's the same thing as the Premier League. And I have a problem with, with that, with the fact that MLS is not widening the pool. And because there's no promotion and relegation, yeah, that's a big part of it. When you have a closed system, there's no interest in Major League Soccer except in limited, you know, soccer geeky or, or, you know, these kind of American exceptionalists outside of MLS markets. Um, and U.S. soccer is a governing body, so I think they have fundamentally a different responsibility. But I think it's, it's difficult. I think the bottom line is, Chris, everybody is out to try and get their own piece of the pie. The Premier League, yeah. to me, is a lot like the NFL and Major League Soccer in the way, uh, you know, they're all about their league and their branding. And they have empowered the league a little more than leagues and the rest of Europe have. I mean, I guess this is a trend, but we, I talked about the club over league thing earlier. That's not necessarily the way the Premier League operates. Although, kudos to NBC during the Spurs match. They did change that graphic I complained about a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, where they did say they have not won a top flight title since 1990. They didn't say they've never won a Premier League title, which is, is in itself kind of uh, misleading. But no, I don't think they've done more. I think these are great, but I, I certainly think MLS has done its share. They should be doing more, though. There's no, you and I can agree of you and I can argue about this particular point, but we, we both agree that Major League Soccer has retrenched in the last few years and has made itself more about MLS branding, keeping money within Soccer United marketing and trying – this is, I guess, the big theme of the week, Chris – trying to choke the game outside of MLS and outside of official channels, which they control. 
Yeah, and there's no doubt that the Premier League is looking at this opportunity, and and they work very closely with NBCSN to host these fan fests. But they're looking at this as a way to really kind of uh, increase the loyalty, or, or to you mean improve the loyalty of these fans and gain more fans and, and gain more viewers to be watching the Premier League. There's, there's no doubt about that. It's a business initiative. Uh, and from NBCSN point of view, too, it's, it's their initiative to try to grow that audience. So there's no doubt about that. I haven't seen zero proof of MLS doing anything outside of um, their markets to really grow soccer in this, in this country. If, if anything, it's the opposite. And, and to me, yeah, there's always going to be different uh, variations. Yeah, there's going to be some fans that are very snobbish that support their team, and, and that's all, all that happens, and they don't look outside of that. The same can be said from the, for the other side, too, where there's fans that just watch major, their Major League Soccer team and will not watch any other leagues from around the world. Um, to me, that there's, there's a way to actually combine both of this uh, together. There's an opportunity to have, you mean, soccer fans support their local team. So whether it's in Major League Soccer, USL, NPSL, you name it, but go watch their local team on a Saturday night or, or a Sunday night and then watch their favorite club or their favorite team or their favorite league uh, during the morning or mid-afternoon or wh- whatever hours it is and actually be able to do both. What I see is the Premier League putting in a lot of effort into trying to grow that audience. Um, I, I see. I see absolutely nothing from Major League Soccer in terms of what they're doing from the lower league side of things. I, I feel your pain, Kartik, in terms of even if the frustration of of a lot of fans not going out and supporting their local clubs. But the reality is, it comes back down to to me there's a lack of promotion relegation. But so why should a, a local fan go to see his local team and support them if there's no chance of them? Of having a dream, of actually having a dream where that team could could actually advance and go through the system and one day possibly, I mean, go to the top league or go to the second division. And that's, I mean, if you're in England and you're supporting Ackerton Stanley or you're supporting I don't know, Barnsley or whatever team it may be, no matter how small that team may be, that dream is always there that someday that team could advance and go higher up the table. And that's the incentive that's that the major incentive that drives people to go to those games and you mean and then they become hooked to that local team but at the same time they might watch sky sports and watch manchester united or liverpool later in the day well yes and no okay i agree with you on promotion and relegation i'm one of the foremost advocates for it in this country at least i'd like to think i am um however I uh, have to say that part of it is community and part of going Accrington Stanley is never going to be in the top flight. Uh, there's a very small, minute chance. And even clubs that have been in the top flight in the past, like Oldham and Swindon, uh, et cetera, Luton, so much of it is community. We do not have that here for whatever reason. And that was one of the talking points in the summit is local amateur soccer, local uh, uh, low league, lower league professional soccer, something to give community. In the, in the UK, in Germany, uh, less so in Spain and Italy, but in, in the UK and Germany are the best examples. Um, England and Germany in particular, those leagues. There is a lot of just uh, embracing of community or community neighborhoods. Here, people gravitate towards the top. We're a very top-down sports culture, which also explains in many ways the popularity of the Premier League in this country is that it, the, the Premier League clubs that are popular are the top six clubs. It's not There, there aren't people running around with West Brom 
uh, paraphernalia that I can see uh, all over the place. So it's um, it's one of those things where I think maybe culturally we're very different than Europe and we're not as into community. We're not as into embracing local community institutions in our neighborhoods. But I think that might change with exposure. And I think one of the things that really helps is that one of the clubs that really helped that in the U.S., I have to say, and they haven't been in the Premier League in 10 years now, is it's Portsmouth. The number of newer football fans that gravitated to Pompey because it was a cool, smaller community club. And now might do it again because of uh, American ownership and the involvement of the Supporters Trust. Those are the sorts of things that move the conversation, I think, and move the attitudes more than, uh, and now what's happening at Blackpool. Those sorts of things more than most of what happens in the Premier League. So I would say, yeah, English football is an inspiration, but in a lot of ways it's English football outside the Premier League, outside the top clubs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, looking at Portsmouth or looking at some of these other cl- clubs like a Blackpool, like you mentioned there too, still the reality is, is that these clubs have an opportunity to go up or, or go, d- go down. We've seen Correct. Blackpool yeah. go up yeah. and down. And, and that's something there's um, – you know, that, that to me is the thing that's missing in the United States. And that's the thing that actually would probably help build communities. It would help build uh, soccer fans to congregate around local teams and say, hey – Let's go ahead and there's a pathway here to go up to the top or, or, or you know, second division, whatever it may be. Let's work together on this. There's a, a common goal. Right now, there isn't a common goal. The common goal would be to have the team survive. I mean, that, that's for a lot of the lower leagues. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the goal is, is what can we do to get this team to survive for another season? Um, yeah, I mean that, and that—that's a whole different ball game. You mean, that, and oftentimes surviving for another season. So the, there are people arguing we do have promotion and relegation in this country because you see all these USL and NASL teams now in MLS, Orlando, Minnesota, Montreal, etc., Cincinnati now, and that you have teams that have relegated. Well, they self-relegate because of that economic reality that playing higher league doesn't make a difference. Um, final point, but this is a, a huge one based on everything we've talked about. There is MLS and then there are other leagues. That is the general attitude of fans in the United States. So the difference between playing in the second division and the fourth or fifth division, fourth division or semi-pro, uh, is negligible from, a, uh, from an appearance and a marketing standpoint unless you have $150 million lying around or, or the potential to get an investor with that and you want to move to, uh, to uh, Major League Soccer. There really is no advantage to be playing in a division for the most part. All right, Kostik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, um, finally, Fox Sports is bringing the Bundesliga back to over-the-air Big Fox, uh, beginning this Saturday with their Classicer at uh, 12.30 p.m., Dortmund and Bayern. Dortmund are two points ahead in the table uh, as we enter this, this huge match in Munich at the Allianz Arena. I, I should mention, Chris, uh, the one uh, moment of uh, my uh, inappropriate behavior as the NCT at the uh, I don't call it inappropriate, but um, off of the cuff behavior at, at uh, the soccer summit as the MC was when I saw Alcazar had scored the goal, the first one, the free kick, uh, 90 plus one to give By- uh, Dortmund the lead in that match, uh, and uh, Bayern drew. So Dortmund moves back ahead, top of the table. Uh, for whatever reason, this title race this season has gripped me just because Munich have won so many titles in a row, I guess. And there is something about this Dortmund team and the way they play that I like. Uh, there'll be also um, over-the-year matches May 11th and May 18th, which are the penultimate match. 
and the final match day. I'm assuming those will be title race. They're, they're to be determined. I'm assuming there'll be title race implications. Uh, remember, the kickoffs those, uh, for those two match days are simultaneous. So it'll be 9.30 a.m. Eastern uh, both weekends. Kartik, next up, we've got um, some complaints we received uh, this past weekend. And it, I received a ton of complaints. I was, again, at, at one of my kids' soccer games, and I was getting texts and, and uh, tweets and all sorts of emails from people around the country saying, why is NBC SN showing commercials during games? So <laughs> I was like, what? So anyway, I checked into this, and um, what happened is I, so I, I figured out that the issue – was not with NBCSN. The national feed was showing the game as usual with no commercials during the match itself. Uh, what had happened is that DirecTV, DirecTV subscribers nationwide, uh, for whatever reason, DirecTV had been inserting commercials into the game. So it was the Man United-Watford game and the Everton-West Ham game. Uh, there were about three commercials in all. Some of them were for... Uh, Dairy Queen, some of them were for uh, in-house DirecTV ads for their, I guess, pay-per-view movies. And um, anyway, so I reached out to NBCSN and confirmed with them that that was not an issue uh, nationwide. I reached out to DirecTV to find out, okay, was this a mistake? Was this something, somebody had pressed the wrong button or what, what it was? Um, I never heard back from DirecTV. So hopefully this was an isolated instance and hopefully this won't happen again. But, um, yeah, if you're a DirecTV subscriber, to me, at this point in time, this is really not DirecTV. This is AT&T. DirecTV has gone. The name is there. Uh, the company, this company, this AT&T company is acting very differently than DirecTV in the past. DirecTV in the past was the number one place to go to if you could afford it for soccer in terms of all the channels. You name it, any soccer channel, they had it. That's not the case anymore. They've dropped uh, Be In Sports uh, and the Be In Sports in Espanol. And, and here we have some issues with uh, commercials during games, which is you know, sacrilegious. Um, but hopefully, hopefully it was a mistake and hopefully it won't happen again. But uh, I'd heard from other people, too, that the same thing happened during Walking Dead recently. So there seems to be some issues on the DirecTV's side. Moving on, Kartik, uh, some more news in regards to streaming in this case. Yeah, so Jonathan Tannenwald, our friend who's been on this show from the Philly Inquirer, has uh, talked about um, – and he gave me a heads up this was coming. So uh, I knew the article was coming when uh, when he published it last week, uh, late last week, about the uh, situation with the Philadelphia Union not being online, not having a streaming partner, being the only team uh, in the Philadelphia area among college and professional teams. Uh, and they have five major colleges there. So that's a total of nine, ten. 10, including them, but not the nine other teams all have uh, some degree of, uh, of, of streaming package, streaming component uh, for its local fans. Apparently, the union is looking for a rights fee, um, similar to what D.C. United and Cincinnati have gotten from Flow Sports. Um, and uh, MLS, of course, has a deal for out-of-market streaming uh, uh, with ESPN+, Plus, but that blacks out the union games in the Philly market. Uh, for, as, as far as replays are concerned, as far as uh, on demand. So um, 
and some of the areas that don't get uh, because it's a local um, local market catchment area. Some of the markets that don't get the over-the-air coverage uh, that the union have on television then are blacked out on ESPN Plus for the live telecast. So it's a, it's a real problem if you're a Philly Union fan and you want to stream the games. And uh, it appears like they want a rights fee, and they're looking maybe for a Flow Sports or somebody like that rather than uh, uh, making it more accessible to their fans. Now, uh, speaking of the fan fest that happened in Boston this past weekend with the Premier League and how the Premier League is actively trying to you mean, re- grow their audience, well, La Liga is doing something different in this, in this regard. And what they're doing is they're launching a English-language documentary series in North America, and it's, it's going to be called The United States of La Liga. Uh, it's going to be launching this uh, summer, and it's going to be 12 episodes ahead of the 2019-2020 season. Uh, the first completed episode uh, features a uh, De- Deportiva La-, La Coruna fan from Brooklyn. And, um, and basically what La Liga is doing right now with uh, Relevant Sports and the partnership that they have is that they're shopping this documentary around to the streaming services out there, presumably Netflix or an Amazon or, or others. Uh, to, to see which one would be interested in actually acquiring this. So the idea, to me, is good. Uh, I just hope it's not going to be like the We Are LAFC series, which was really kind of really propaganda, kind of a glorified infomercial. I never did get around to watching the rest of that program. Um, I just was really turned off by the first episode and, and part of the second episode, so I didn't get that, the, uh, past that. But hopefully La Liga will look at this and try to be... Try to create something that's more similar to Sunderland Till I Die or something that's more authentic, something that feels more independent. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see, but hopefully uh, hopefully it'll be a good one and I'll be coming out. I'm sure we'll have the news on that um, in the next few months. Last but not least, Kartik, one more item. Yeah, the FCC has rejected being Sports' latest carriage complaint against uh, Comcast. Uh, the Federal Communications Commission dismissed uh, uh, their, what is now the third complaint that uh, BN has filed against Comcast Xfinity. Uh, as our listeners, I'm sure, are all aware of, BN has been off of uh, Comcast since this past summer. So it's been almost a year now, or nine or ten months, and, and it's been uh, very, very hard going, for, particularly for La Liga fans. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any solution uh, for this, and let's uh, go over the numbers. Uh, what has actually happened? We've talked a lot about this on the show, and, and how we have to maybe put an asterisk next to some of the La Liga ratings this year. Um, since DirecTV and Comcast dropped BN Sports, uh, and we're talking about BN Sports in English specifically, uh, there were, it was in 22 million homes. Now it's uh, in the U.S., now it's in 15.4 million homes. So almost halved, not quite halved, but uh, that's why uh, for La Liga's purposes, uh, they've got to uh, – They've got to find a solution to this, and obviously BN has to find a solution to it also. But for from the league standpoint, La Liga and the exposure of two of the greatest brands in football, this has not been a good year. In that article that uh, reported this news, that broke the news uh, from Sport Business, um, the article mentioned a couple of times that this is really uh, a tough time for BN Sports and puts the future of that uh, network in doubt in the United States. I wouldn't go that far. There are definitely issues. There's definitely some financial issues and not being in the homes of, you mean, DirecTV and Comcast. Uh, hopefully there's a way to continue and to continue operating. And uh, I mean, they still have La Liga. If they can get back into DirecTV, that would make a huge difference. 
uh, based on this uh, latest FCC um, uh, complaint, basically, it looks very unlikely that Comcast is going to be in the future. But um, if they can get Direct, Direct TV, I mean, they have Copa Libertadores too, Copa Sudamericana, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic about their, their future chances, uh, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Going into TV ratings, Kartik, uh, this past week we had some big numbers. Uh, 1.2 million people tuned in to watch Club America against Tigres uh, on Univision and uh, Univision Deportes Network on Saturday night. Uh, the Liverpool Spurs game uh, for the, uh, the Fan Fest was 1.04 million for, on uh, NBCSN and Telemundo. Uh, then you had Man United against Watford, uh, 493,000 people watched that one, and so on and so forth. Uh, the fan fest. Actually, the one thing I didn't mention is that um, Liverpool, uh, who are owned by Fenway Sports Group, uh, who is who also owns the Boston Red Sox, they couldn't have timed that any better in terms of having the event next to Fenway Park, having Liverpool in that big game on that Sunday, having Liverpool win late in that in that match, a very fortunate goal, uh, but it is what it is, and then seeing the fans just go crazy. Um, it was good television, and, and that was part of the plan. I mean, we had an article on worldsoccertalk.com that talked about uh, Fenway Sports uh, Group and, and that uh, they were working with NBC uh, to try to get the Fenway uh, you know, location set up, and, and they got that. That was just part of it. I mean, it wasn't just Fenway Sports Group. All the Premier League and, and the clubs were working to, closely together with NBC, um, but, but a huge coup there for... NBC, Fenway Sports Group, Liverpool, and the Premier League it ended up being a big hit. So, Kartik, um, we won't go into all the numbers. We will post um, all, all the numbers from the, these games from the past week um, on worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. But I do want to zero in on a few numbers here. And that is Major League Soccer, unfortunately. Um, we have to keep, keep on coming back to this because, because it's, uh, it's still an issue. I mean, we had the LA Galaxy game against Portland on ESPN2 on Sunday night. Uh, 217,000 viewers, um, definitely a lot lower than what they're used to. Orlando against DC United on FS1. I watched this game. It was a good game uh, on Sunday night from 6.30 to 8.30 Eastern. 130,000 viewers, and that's way below FS1's average uh, for games that they have for Major League Soccer. That, that's, that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible. Um, in the next week, uh, I'm, I'm going to be publishing some new research data to show that MLS has not closed the, the TV ratings gap against the Premier League and League MX. Uh, in fact, in the recent number of years, the gap is widening. So while MLS TV ratings are pretty static. I mean, year over year, they're increasing by about 5%. Um, this past year, the 2018, the reason it was 5% was because of two things. One is how well the ratings were doing on Univision. Uh, they were down on ESPN, down on FS1. And then the other thing was the World Cup. So they had the World Cup games, and they would do a doubleheader and have the World Cup. And right after that, they'd have an MLS game on Fox. And that would artificially stimulate and inflate those numbers to be a decent number. So it's for 2019, it's going to drop. It's definitely going to drop, and they're going to have a tough time um, trying to get anywhere close to what 2018 numbers were. So in the past, what, past decades, MLS has expanded into different cities, Atlanta, Orlando, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, uh, as well as second teams launching in New York and Los Angeles. Uh, next year, they're going to have Miami, 
in Miami, the only reason they've stuck with Miami for this long is because it's a big TV market. It's a TV market they're not in. It's a key one if you want to be uh, reaching the Hispanic um, uh, demographic. Uh, and they're not in it yet, but they will be in it next year. So that's the reason that they stuck with Miami. At the same time, over the past decade, we've had I mean, all these stars come to, to the league to try to boost TV ratings. Wayne Rooney, Zlatan, uh, Andrea per- Perlo, uh, David Villa, uh, Henri, Kaká, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba, Ashley Cole, Bastian Schweinsteiger. But none of them have boosted TV ratings. So there you go. You've got, I mean expansion of teams across some of the the biggest TV markets in the United States. Uh, You've got all these stars coming into the league, and there's been no sizable increase in TV ratings. To me, it's it's a worrying times, Kartik. If I was Major League Soccer, I'd be banging my head against the wall going like, "What, what do we have to do to go ahead and cause any type of bump in TV ratings? I mean, outside of the World Cup, you mean, when it's, when it's not a World Cup year, what can we do? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think it, it's something where it's um, they're, they're frustrated or do you think they're just kind of going along with the um, going along with it? No, they're frustrated. And uh, quite honestly, Grant Wall last week on, on Planet Football gave them a potential solution, which is to talk about promotion and relegation and and, uh, and maybe open the league up. But that's something they seem unwilling to do. So I think. They're, they're frustrated by it, but the trade-off for them is opening the league up and talking about everything we've talked about earlier on this show, which is an open system and, and, and pro-rel, and they're just not willing to do that. So that's the solution. If, if, you, if there's a silver bullet solution, that's it. Um, otherwise, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there is a solution at this point. At, at the same time, I, I wouldn't blame the TV networks. I, I think the TV networks such as ESPN, Fox, and Univision, it's not their fault that the numbers are what they are. Um, they're doing a decent job of, of covering the league. I mean, Fox, for all the criticisms I've given to them over the years, I mean, you name it, it's a long list of criticisms. With Major League Soccer, they put their effort in, they, they promote it, they uh, definitely go all in on Major League Soccer, and they, they try their hardest. You can tell by watching the broadcast, they definitely care about the league, they want it to grow. Uh, same with ESPN. ESPN goes for kind of a different audience a little bit a little bit more say cosmopolitan audience but they absolutely try their their hardest to help this league univision a big boost on on the spanish language side and and again they're committed 100 percent committed so all of these broadcasters are committed um the players of course are trying their hardest but at the end of the day to me it comes down to the structure of the league it comes down to the structure of the the season is that i've said this before but about 80 percent of the season are games that are not meaningful you can have a late surge of wins uh, late in the season and still get into the playoffs which is the ultimate goal for a lot of these teams but if you listen to the mls talking heads or read the journalists i mean you would think that they're, they're in a bubble i mean mls is bigger better and stronger than ever before but they can't quantify that the only thing that they quantify that with usually are attendance numbers and this past week, the Cincinnati Reds got crushed in the media and, and in social media because they had an attendance at one of their home baseball games of about 7,000 people. But looking at the pictures of the crowds that in, in that uh, Reds game, that appeared to be kind of a, appeared to be an accurate number. The difference with Major League Soccer is that even though they've had some really big attendances at, at a lot of these crowds, whether it's Seattle or Atlanta uh, or other cities, 
Uh, there are many attendances that look much lower than the 7,000 number. And you can just look at the recent crowd for the New England Revolution home game against Cincinnati, where it looked like there was maybe, I don't know, maybe 3,000 people there, if, if, if you're lucky, maybe, maybe 4,000. And if MLS reported those numbers, I mean, there would be kind of crisis, there'd be headlines, there'd be all this drama in social media, just like the Cincinnati Reds and in the media, people kind of saying, okay, the, even the sky is falling. We're not saying that by any means, but the MLS, the only numbers that they can't control, that they can't influence are the TV ratings numbers. And the TV ratings numbers are the only true measurement of the success of MLS that can be independently reported. Now, the attendance numbers, they can, they can inflate those numbers and, and talk about tickets dis- distributed. Um, there's lots of different things that they can do, which is why I keep on coming back to the TV ratings and why I think we'll talk a talk. I mean, other than I, mean, I don't think anyone else is talking about this. This is a major issue. The league is expanding. It's growing in, in terms of number of teams, which is fantastic. If you happen to live in one of the cities, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You have, your, have a local team that you can go to. Some teams are better than others. Uh, some teams have probably better community or better supporters groups than others. But there's an opportunity to actually w- watch that. But outside of those cities, pretty much, I mean, the, the entire country is not watching these games. And why aren't they watching these games? And it comes keeps on coming back to they're not meaningful. Why are they not meaningful? Because there's no promotion or relegation. Imagine in one season, Kartik, if uh, New England Revolution and Colorado Rapids ended up at the bottom of Major League Soccer and they got relegated. I don't think there'd be too many people crying uh, wolf about that. But could, could you think of two teams from USL or, or any other lower leagues that could go up to Major League Soccer, get promoted, that would cause a, a rush of excitement, that would be some entertaining teams to look, look at, to have a good community base? A- any two that come to mind? Yeah, Louisville and Sacramento right off the bat. Yeah, and that would be a huge plus for Major League Soccer. That would probably mean more people interested in watching games on television if there was a chance of teams going up, teams going down. Uh, just imagine Louisville's got a huge supporter base. And I know, I know that region extremely well in terms of, I mean, they're, they're crazy about Louisville. And Sacramento would be a fantastic way to go ahead and get promoted up and see how they did. It changes everything. Then all of a sudden, it's okay. Well, actually, now let's, let's watch more of this league. Let's, let's, let's get more into this. And in many ways, MLS is holding back itself. It's holding back the growth of not just Major League Soccer, but also the growth of soccer in this country. And when we've talked about this a few times in this podcast, it keeps on coming back to that same thing. So bottom line is, from my point of view, that MLS fans and the media need to step outside their bubble and face the facts. Narcotic, um, list the mailbag. First up is JP. He says, uh, Christopher, I just got around to the mailbag section and I appreciate your reply. You say the constant excuses for MLS ratings aren't justified, but I still think there are a myriad of legitimate reasons for the low ratings that you're not considering. Okay, so JP continues. He says, uh, here I go apologizing for MLS again, and I'm not even a big fan, but here goes. Soccer in this country is still probably the fifth most popular sport, if we're being generous. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, college football, and college basketball are all likely ahead and can debate whether hockey is more, and more, more or less popular. Given that, when MLS is up against other sports, it is likely to lose the battle for fans' attention. 
since MLS matches are usually at times other American sports are scheduled, it rarely gets the opportunity to be the only game in town. Springtime, there is the NCAA tournaments, NBA and NHL playoffs. Fall and winter is NCAA football and NFL. The summer, it's only up against Major League Baseball. And this is probably where the ratings are the best, but would suspect even events like Wimbledon or the U.S. Open tennis tournament uh, or, or golf tournaments, uh, Kartik, might come up uh, on top of MLS. He, when yeah, he forgot, to mention golf. he forgot to mention golf. And the golf is more popular than soccer in this country as a spectator sport. Tennis is not. But go ahead. Right. And, and let me just chime in here, too, to uh, respond to J- JP, is that uh, there's no doubt that there are other sports in this country that are more popular than soccer. So the NFL, NBA, uh, and, and other, others, definitely. The reality is, is that we're not expecting that Major League Soccer or, or soccer is going to be number one sport anytime soon. But what we do expect is that the ratings will increase, that soccer grows in popularity, that against these other sports that, uh, you know, you know at, a, at a minimum, it does the same. But, but you mean, it, it does much better year over year of, of, of Europe. And a 5% growth is, is not a, a big increase by any means. So... At the same time, though, too, you look at the first five weeks of the MLS season uh, compared to last year. And last year, it was the same thing. I mean, March Madness has happened, uh, the NBA, NFL, all these things are still the same thing. They're on the same calendars year after year. And yet, ratings are 27% down this year compared to last year. So what's different? It's not, these, other, these other teams, these other leagues aren't any different. And, and while, JP, your, your points are very valid... There's an issue here. What is the issue? Why are not why why are soccer fans not showing up and watching these games? Part of it, Kartik, I think, is that MLS has a, a choice. Do they go after the hardcore soccer fans, or do they go after mainstream casual sports fans? And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, they're looking at the mainstream casual sports fans and say, okay, that is our demographic. That is our audience. That's a target audience. That's who we should go after. And at the same time, the hardcore soccer fans, they probably think, okay, well, we're not going to win them over, so let's not go down that path. And that's the path that they have chosen. They have chosen the path of the NFL, the NBA, the Major League Baseball. And it's not working. It's not working because the hardcore soccer fans are probably going to say, okay, well, am I going to watch a Barcelona against a Villarreal game on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, or am I going to watch... Colorado against New England Revolution. You mean so? There's, there's, you mean that? That's kind of a, a simple equation there. Um, the casual fans, the mainstream fans, that's difficult. That that doesn't happen overnight. And as we've seen with these numbers, it's not improving. So they're kind of caught in between. Where maybe it's better to go after the hardcore fans, like we said before, too, and have them be the fans that will watch their favorite team on television and then go to the games at nighttime, which is probably what's happening now, except they're not watching it on TV. So there are many, many issues that Major League Soccer has. Uh, It's not going to be an easy fix by any means, but but one of the fixes uh, is, is the calendar. In 23 years, Major League Soccer has been around for 23 years, Kartik. And the first season of Major League Soccer was in 1996. In, 2023, in 23 years, the calendar really hasn't changed at all. Uh, 23 years ago, the first season of Major League Soccer, the, the, the season started in the first week of April and ended in late October. This season kicked off in March and will end on November 10th. 
uh, and with a lot more teams now than they were in '96. So the calendar really hasn't changed much. That's part of the equation. That's part of the thing that's so frustrating with Major League Soccer is why aren't they changing things? Looking at at the calendar and saying, okay, let's just change things up to make this work. And I think the reason is is because they're comfortable in their own existence in terms of not messing with the attendances. Uh, it's 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 a working formula. And to change the calendar is going to change things quite completely. Um, but it has to be done, Carter, because otherwise, I mean, having the, the games played or having the final or having the, 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 the title race in the summertime would be massive if there was a you mean, promotion relegation, open system. So a lot of the things we've been talking about, those are positive changes that would have a huge impact on Major League Soccer. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, and any time I try to discuss the calendar, you know, the gloom, that's even worse on the promotion and relegation discussion. Uh, you hear about how people will freeze, and they don't even consider that you could schedule creatively and how soccer will die in this country. So there's even more opposition. I've talked about the opposition to promotion and relegation. There's even more opposition among kind of elites in the game to discussing calendar change, even though when you talk to People who, who are, know the sport at an international level, they think that that's a fundamental part of, of changing the soccer culture here is to change the calendar. But um, topic for another show, yeah. perhaps another time. Yeah, and one more point about uh, JP's uh, feedback. And it's a long one, so I won't go read the whole thing. But he says, uh, contrast this with the European leagues. They get the benefit of usually being the only sport to watch on a weekend morning and also early afternoon when college football ends in December and the NFL ends in January. You would know this better than I do, but do EPL ratings for the 12.30 match improve in December, January versus September through November? The answer to that direct question is yes, definitely. Uh, the December, January numbers are usually much higher than September, November. September, November numbers are pretty decent, but uh, usually December, January definitely uh, do go up. Part of the other reason for that, too, is that uh, people are on break. People are on, you know, whether it's... Uh, break from school or break from work so there's more people at home watching these games and there's nothing much else on if you're if you're a soccer fan uh especially if you're watching the premier league and there's you mean the la liga takes a winter break the i mean pretty much all the european leagues take a winter break except for um the premier league but but the, the other thing jp just to mention this too is that yes european leagues have a huge advantage but you look at Liga mx Liga mx plays on you mean saturday afternoons saturday evenings Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings. And while that's a different target demographic, those numbers are still huge. And uh, people are watching those games rather than watching Major League Soccer or rather than watching, say, NBA or, or whatever sports are on. Let's move on to the next uh, listener mailbag, and that's Sam. He says, uh, with regard to your discussion on MLS ratings last week, I'm a new MLS fan in the San Jose market as of last year. I do not have any cable TV service and therefore only watch the games on television, which are on Big Fox. I have, I have ESPN+, Plus, which I got for MLS. I'll watch Champions League games at the bar sometimes, and I'll stream athletic Bilbao games at home, but I don't feel there is any real competition from my eyes on the weekend. That's just my personal experience, but I wonder how common it is. It would be interesting to see if the TV ratings drop uh, drops are, are, are at all offset by year-over-year growth in streaming. Anyways, I enjoy the show. Keep it up. So the streaming argument is something that's always mentioned whenever we mention TV ratings, then people say like, oh, well, MLS fans stream a lot of these games. And yes, streaming is important and it is growing, 
But those numbers are minuscule in comparison to the TV numbers. And the MLS numbers for viewing numbers are very, very small. Otherwise, MLS would be reporting those numbers, sharing those numbers, getting the word out about how well um, those, those games are actually doing. So, yes, there are people watching and streaming games on Major League Soccer. Uh, but at the same time, there are people streaming games on, for the Premier League or the, for the Bundesliga. Uh, just this past weekend, the Liverpool Spurs game, as one example, the number of people that streamed that game, so there was what 1.04 million people uh, watched the game on television. The number of people that watched the, the game on streaming on NBCSN or the NBC Sports app was, I believe, 63 or 73,000. I can't, can't remember which number it was, but say, say 65,000 uh, people that watched that game. So for a Major League Soccer game uh, on ESPN+, Plus, it's probably a tenth of that. So you're talking about maybe like 6,000 to maybe to 10,000 people maybe watching a game there. Uh, ben Salaheen says, Would you happen to know if TNT is planning to televise all the remaining Champions League games from now on? And the answer to that question is yes. TNT will broadcast uh, the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final on TNT, but not every game. So... Coming up this next week, um, you know, only one game per day is on TNT. Um, all of the games are on BR Live, and all the games are on television on Univision or Univision Deportes Network or Unamas or Galavision. So, uh, but TNT will broadcast uh, all the way through to the final unless something changes. Nuke says, uh, and this is this is for you, Kartik. What are your thoughts on the explosive growth in the women's game in Europe? Is this the nail in the coffin for a U.S. women's league since the best will ultimately have more opportunities overseas? Uh, it could be the nail in the coffin. This is, a, this is kind of a loaded question because what we've seen is that Jill Ellis and her staff still, and I think the U.S. Federation in general, still prefer to, to select players who are playing in NWSL uh, for the national team. You saw that with Crystal Dunn. When she went overseas, she didn't get selected. She comes back to the North Carolina Courage. She's right back in the team, even though she's playing out of position at left back. Uh, this is a It's a really good question because I think when you talk – now, there was a great podcast this week. I highly recommend it, ESPN FC. Seb Salazar sitting down with uh, Christine Lilly, Brandy Chastain, and Kate McGrath. And uh, they talked about this issue. And Kate McGrath, who obviously covers the game uh, at a very high level, uh, talked about how the coaching is better in Europe now in the women's game and how uh, uh, the commitment of men's clubs to uh, bring in top technical staff is uh, has really elevated that the game there. And also when I talked to someone in the game here in the U.S., they mentioned there are lots of people who uh, go and get their UEFA pro license. There's a glut of coaches in some Western European countries. And and rather than sit around and wait for an opportunity to open at a professional men's club, they go and coach women's clubs. And so you're getting elevated coaching there. Uh, and we don't have that, quite frankly, going on in NWSL or in the college game here in this country. So uh, the answer to your question is it would be a yes if the federation didn't take such a, uh, a, a negative view of it. But who knows? Uh, Jill Ellis may not be the coach after uh, June, after the World Cup, after July. And you might have another coach who has a different attitude towards this. So very well could impact uh, NWSL long-term viability and, and whether they're around or not, quite frankly. Next up is uh, John Fino. He says, uh, hello, Kartik and Christopher. I wanted to ask you, I love John Champion's work and his pronunciation of Cincinnati is very endearing to me, a kid born and raised here. Does ESPN have any plans for John Champion to call other sports when, the, when MLS is not playing 
And to fa- to paraphrase comic strip guy from The Simpsons, is that his real name? So yes, it is his real name. John Champion is John Champion. Uh, ESPN has no plans to have John broadcast any of the sports uh, other than soccer um, anytime soon. And uh, and Kartik, he does ask another question too, which I, I don't have the answer to this, but perhaps maybe you two. Is there a website with advanced stats on MLS or Premier League teams, i.e. I would love to see expected goals from a match? Yes, it's 538.com. They do the expected goals thing for both those leagues and for a number of other leagues around the world, including Bundesliga, Liga, uh, uh, champ, the championship. Uh, I think they have USL this year, too, now, finally. Awesome. Hey, good tip. All right, last but not least, uh, JP gets another comment in this week. He says, in regards to the Apple TV app, won't be long before they, we've come full circle and streaming consolidation will make it just like cable where there will be mandatory starter bundles loaded with things you do, we don't want. What we truly want and still don't have is real a la carte where everything is on the table available through one service or device and we create our own bundle. Right now, the streaming bundles come close, but none fulfills everything and all still come with some channels that we, most of them we don't want. So, for, for example, he says, PlayStation View has no B in sports. Sling TV has no uh, NESN. Uh, Fubo has no ABC or ESPN. YouTube TV has no B in sports or NFL Network or Red Zone. This is just for sports content. Sure, another list could be made for other entertainment options. And these are fantastic points by JP. Absolutely. It's, I mean, the market, the industry is moving towards more and more bundles and yeah, it's and the prices are increasing. It's not as bad as cable by any means, but um, a lot of the players, that are the big players in the streaming space are from the cable slash satellite TV industry. So, so Sling TV is owned by by the Dish Network, um, so on and so forth. But I mean, so yeah, absolutely. I think that's the way things are moving. Uh, that would be the true difference makers if you did have a streaming service where it was truly a la carte and you could pick and choose exactly what you wanted. Whether th- that'll happen or not, I doubt it. I would love to see it. I, I doubt it, though. You can always reach us through email uh, via web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always, always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, on the podcast thread and we'll be sure to mention those in the next episode so thanks for listening you can get a new episode of the world soccer talk podcast every thursday every episode is released on soundcloud spotify youtube stitcher itunes TuneIn, audio boom and worldsoccertalk.com and if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on itunes we would greatly appreciate it in kartik heading into another what should be a tip-top weekend of football from around the world, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.